Joe, it's our first podcast. This is exciting. I think we should start off by telling everybody where we are and what we're going to do today. How does that sound? Totally. Um, so we are down basically in Duluth. That's right. <laughs> yes, we're in Duluth. The fringe of the Duluth. The fringe of Duluth. So if you think Duluth has mostly ended, and then you're going to see the sign on the right, and it says Gitchigami Park. And total transparency, I've missed this turn before coming <laughs> down the shore. It's very easy to miss. You almost are like, oh, there is another road right there. Mm -hmm. So we pulled in. Um, actually, we started to pull in. You missed it the first time. Yes. In fact, <laughs> total transparency too. I missed it today. <laughs> we turned around a few moments later, found it. It's all good. Now we're parked here staring at this beautiful beach area. Mm -hmm. And this is known as Brighton Beach. Yeah, beautiful day. People, you know, not overly crowded or anything, but uh, people enjoying the nice days for sure. So it's, it's one of the first, I would say, probably nice days of the year we've had so far. Mm -hmm. So people are down here having picnics and skipping rocks and dipping their toes into the water and doing other such fun things. Mm -hmm. And this is where we are going to start our first part of a three-part series where we go on a little road trip. We're going to go today from Brighton Beach in Duluth. And we're going to wrap it up probably near Grand Marais. We'll see if we can get there today. What does that sound? Sounds like a, a wonderful day. Uh, I'm glad that we've got coffee on our side and time. We do. Hey, Jay. Hey, Joe. I feel like doing some exploring. Oh, that sounds like fun. Let's hit the road, see where we end up. This is Exploring the North Shore with Joe and Jay. about 10 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. so let's go in reverse and start our trip sounds good to me beautiful down here and this is the place where a lot of people go during the winter when we have waves to go surfing so this is the oh. surf spot nice. in Lake Superior of course not today it's a nice calm beautiful day in fact mm -hmm. kind of the day where the lake is the same color as the sky Awesome. There used to be, like I said, there used to be a playground. Maybe we're not far enough down yet, or maybe the playground got damaged that may or may not have survived that storm. That was a very bad storm we had. Mm -hmm. A lot of damage done. But the park is reopened. You can come down here now. For yeah. a while you couldn't, but it's ready for summer. And we haven't had to fill out any kind of pass, or nope. we just pulled in here, parked, and it's, that's the this way it seems that it goes here. completely public. So anybody can come down here and enjoy. There is no camping, but... If you're wanting to, you're just energized to be on the North Shore, this would really make you feel like you're you have arrived. I mean, the lake, I mean, ooh. It's, the road's a little washed out in some yeah. parts. Still. A little car, we're in a little car and it, yeah. it took it on no problem. I mean, the lake's really high right now, but we are, I mean, 10 feet away, would you say? Probably, yeah. Really you know, close. Maybe, you know, 15, something like yeah. that, but a stone's throw, certainly. It's definitely a stone's throw. Wow, look at that beautiful brick building. I want to pull down there and check that out. Yeah. This thing is built to last. Isn't that beautiful? That is awesome. It's like part of a top of a castle or something. Yeah. Like the lookout part. Yeah. Just... Gosh, that's awesome. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yep, so that still there. And there's the playground. So we didn't quite go far enough and luckily it's all still here. It survived. And I'm sure the city of Duluth will put effort forth into maintaining it. I like that there are bathrooms and garbage and recycling and picnic tables things are spread out so that if you want it you know you can still get your space there's uh some people swimming How oh they're that? crazy <laughs> 
And there is another pavilion that has numerous picnic tables under it, so a good place to come for a little party, barbecue, birthday party maybe. Mm -hmm. When's the last time you were on a swing, Jay? Yesterday. Really? Yeah. Gosh. You've got <laughs> well, me beat by like six years. I have three kids, so we go to the park a lot. So I usually just sit on the swing and you know, start swinging with them or by myself while they go off and play. I feel left out. Wait, you haven't, how many years? I don't know, a long time, enough that I can't really recall. I feel like I should make you get out and go on a swing right now. I think it was like I was in Portland or something with my friend's kid at a park and that was a long time ago. Six years. Wow. I'm tempted to double back and go swing. I think we're gonna encounter a couple more swings okay. during the trip, so okay. we'll get Good. you on a swing at some point. That's <laughs> sad though. I know, swing deprived. It's like flying, the closest thing you can get to it from just being a normal person on the ground. I will swing, all right, cool. So the goal of the day, find Joe a swing to swing on. I must swing. If I don't swing today, I will consider it, I will drive all the way back to, to that Brighton swing, Beach. Yes, to that swing <laughs> set and and take a couple goes and um, that will be, right. but so that's not, but hopefully we, we find a swing set along the way. And you want to go fishing this afternoon, so we I have to get to. back so yes. you can go fishing. Today I must swing and I must fish. There you go. It's a good day. Uh, it's a beautiful day on the North Shore. Now the road is sort of moving away and when it starts to move away, that's the end of it. A lot of people at this point turn around mm -hmm. because they don't realize that if you just keep going a little bit further, you hit a stop sign, which you're gonna swing a right there and that brings you on to what is known as the Scenic Drive. Okay, awesome. So again, you can access this from Highway 61, the expressway. But this is just more fun. And on the uh, GPS, it's gonna say Congdon Boulevard at yes. this point. In fact, the street sign we just saw back there, um, there was a street sign, it said Congdon Boulevard, and it told us that we were on Brighton Beach Road before getting on there. So you're going from Brighton Beach Road through Kitchigami Park onto Congdon Boulevard, which is where we are now. Nice. And for a brief minute, we were taken away from the lake, and just like that, we'd go around a corner and we are back on Lake Superior. It is again a stone's throw away. The first thing we are coming to here now is the community of French River. So French River is an unincorporated community in Duluth Township. It is part of St. Louis County, and it has a population of about 100. So it was originally called Clifton, and it was surveyed about the late 1800s because there were rumors that the uh, end of the or the mouth of the river which were actually just passing right over here mm -hmm. was full of copper deposits that they could mine out and you know somebody could make it rich yep so those mining companies came in and they did a bunch of digging around somebody even dug several shafts in this area and no copper was found. Came up empty, okay. Nope. Well, but there's actually some houses here. I mean, this is a small little village, I it, guess you could say. It's nice, too. I mean, look at how big some of these houses are. I mean, this is definitely people who have had some money to invest out here. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. You know, all the people moved away from Clifton. The mining companies moved away from Clifton. But then you started getting those people from Duluth who wanted a little bit of distance between themselves and the city, a little mm -hmm. small town community feel. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's pretty much what okay. French River has become. All right. And so this is the home of the Clearwater Grill 
and the new scenic cafe and about a hundred people and that's about it okay i wonder if there's a mayor of french river you know it's unincorporated so probably not a mayor but probably does have a town board hmm. yeah bet you somebody from french river could shine some insight could on fill us that in, yes. <laughs> to be right. continued to be continued so if you're from french river maybe you could tell us what your uh government setup is like there uh so we are coming up now soon to the new scenic cafe and that is going to be our first stop yeah let's pull in check it out i've heard amazing things and here we are we are at the new scenic cafe which is way different than i remember it looking when i was a kid how about this yurt I was a yurt in front of us. That is a big yurt, too. I want to get the story on the yurt. Like, yeah. Is it the waiting room? Can you eat there? Can you rent it? Can you... I got to find out the story of this yurt. Well, let's go find out. We are here at the Zuna Cafe, and we got a little bit of history from them. They, The new Zuna Cafe is what it's called now. Yes. They purchased it in 1999 built onto it from what the little one-room shack that it used to be that I remember when I was a kid in the early 90s. And now Joe wants to go check out this yurt they have here. And Jay, I think we should just cut right to the chase and, and explain that this place has amazing food and is well known as one of the best eateries, restaurants on the shore. And it gets busy in a good way, but it does get busy. Uh, we just heard from the head chef that they, on a, on a typical summer day, 300, 350 people will come through and it's a, it's a small little place. So there can be a way, it's probably best to like be aware of that. Yes. It gets a little busy, but it's also incredible. And now we're about to go into this yurt, which even from the outside, I can tell I'm about to be <laughs> really excited. So I'll try to contain myself. Hell, it's locked. She said it's it wasn't locked. locked. I think it's not locked. I think you just don't understand door handles. <laughs> and we are in. Oh, wow. Check out this rug and this table, this circular table. It's like something. There is an eight foot lazy Susan in the middle of this table. And it's totally easy to spin too, once <laughs> you get it going. So they said that this is not a typical dining, this is more of an intimate dining area that you can rent. So if you're coming up with a group of people and you want a really intimate dining area, or if you're a business and you want to host a holiday dinner, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's heated. It looks like there's a heater in the corner over there. Yeah, a few of them. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is where you can gather around. This is gorgeous too. This is definitely very Northwoods here. Views of the lake. There is a, in a yurt, you usually don't have a wall of windows, but I'm seeing a wall of windows over here, floor to ceiling. Well, this is an experience that I have to have in the next two years. This is very well built. Eating too. a meal in this yurt on this, using this lazy Susan and being like, hey Jay, Will you pass the mashed potatoes? I could just put them on there and then spin it around to you. This is amazing. So good job, New Scenic Cafe. I Serious props to this, because this is incredible. This is a unique dining experience on the North Shore and one of the best restaurants on the North Shore. Definitely. So open your round, New Scenic Cafe. Um, we were gonna stop for breakfast, but I found out they actually are more of a lunch dinner space. They yeah. open at 11. So we are just gonna carry on with our road trip Okay, and that sounds good. We'll, see where the road brings us. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
thing we're coming up to here is Tom's Logging Camp. Their motto is, great place for kids to have fun. All right, so maybe you, there's a swing set here. Hey, you know, if there's gonna be a swing set anywhere, you think it would be here. So Tom's Logging Camp is a recreation of an old logging camp that would have been found in this area from the mid 1800s to the early 1900s. All right, so here we are at Tom's Logging Camp. Let's go see if we can find somebody. Uh, we're at Tom's Logging Camp. I'm Bill Weckman and my wife Lauren uh, is the proprietor. There's eight museum buildings, uh, trout pond, we have a, a llama, we have chickens, we have goats and things like that for kids to feed. And that's pretty much the gist of it. The gift shop is definitely an old timey place. The pottery, cedar boxes, and shirts, and lots of jewelry, moccasins and that kind of thing. So it's a, a family, a family place that's uh, a tradition for about four generations of people. We're seeing now. We're seeing the the great 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 grandkids in some cases carried through the door. They come every summer and they're part of their trip. So uh, we'll go into the first building, which is the harness shop. Oh wow! This is probably the most informative single building that that we have, and we have a shoeing stall. It's uh. It's intact. It could actually go into service today. We have a, a mannequin horse in it that shows how they, they change the shoes on the horses uh, almost on a continual basis. They, they did that at night so if the horse was ready to work in the morning. And they took care, very good veterinary care of the animals. And there's, uh, there's saws and lots of pictures and lots of descriptions and lots of harness work. There's an entire logging sled that uh, is, is also completely intact. Lots of uh, lots of the tools of the of the day. Most of this has has to do with the horse end of it. And they never owned logging camps. Never owned their horses per se. They would lease them from local farmers who who was in a win win situation. You would lease them to to a logging camp and use them all winter long. And they'd feed them properly. They'd give them proper veterinary care. And they'd show up in the spring ready to work and you didn't have to feed them all winter and you actually made some money so that is a win-win yeah it's yeah everybody everybody won and they would log off 20 acres or so and they'd move to the middle of the next patch and log that off drag everything to the next patch and log that off and that's how the that's how the building boom was supplied um we're looking at big saw blades there was none of that on logging camps but if you get a chance to get a big saw blade you don't turn it down. <laughs> where, where did this come from bill do people donate this to the to the much of camp? it much of it as i understand at least in this building especially uh came from a, a logging concern up in grand marais they uh they had a shed with a lock on on the door and of course the logging company had mechanized and they'd gone to the to the diesel and modern equipment all of this was put into that building uh, at that time. They didn't liquidate anything. They just put it away as they got better equipment. They just things would become obsolete and outdated, and they just put it in the put it in the shed. And they knocked the lock off the door when the, the building sold. And lo and behold, most of this was in there. Wow. We're in the barn now, and this this uh, has some replica horses standing in stalls, and then. Uh, is that That's how big they were? Those were uh, Percherons. They're Clydesdale size. And these are regular Arabian decorder horse size. Kind of gives you an idea of whatever they would find is what they would use for different, for different purposes. 
but we're standing and looking at some circa 1901, roughly turn of the century again, pictures of actual actual horses standing ready to be harnessed. Some of them harnessed up to a, a, a sleigh of logs and, and so forth and so on. We have a lot of a lot of explanation in in the way of uh, slabs of wood with with explanations written on them that tell pretty much the tale of what you're seeing and gives interesting information. Same situation here. This is a blacksmith shop. There's lots of lots of handmade tools, bellows, a forge, all kinds of uh, all kinds of what they were what they were producing to, to keep bringing logs out of the woods. This is kind of an interesting picture display. It also shows a lot of the of the steam locomotion coming out of the woods at that time. They didn't float everything. A lot of it had to be brought out by, by train, train and truck, but primarily train. As, uh, as we stand here and look, some of the expressions on these, on these people in, in, the, in the blacksmith shop sitting with his dogs, you're thinking to yourself, boy, it's a good thing they kept these guys in the woods. <laughs> They probably were a real problem in town. <laughs> and apparently it was against the law to smile in a photo, except for one guy, one guy smiling in a photo. He's the rebel. The rest of them, they looked very, very serious. They wanted to, wanted to be saved, I guess, looking like you're working. And it's also self, uh, I call it self-inflicted. It's uh, a self-guided tour. We give you a map, which also doubles as your ticket. And uh, you can stand and look at anything you want for as long as you want and zip right by things that don't interest you whatsoever, as, which is a, the opposite of most guided tours. They'll tell you about something you didn't come to see, and then they'll hustle you past what you really wanted to look at. So you don't face that. You, you've, got, uh, you've got the time and the, and the ability to, to really absorb whatever you want. And, Especially when multi-generations are out here at the same time, there's a lot of question and answer that goes on. People are very respectful. I think it's unique enough that uh, that that's the cook shanty. The cook shanty. I did not expect to see people in here. No, no. I a quick story. There was a little boy, and he had the had the terrified expression of the little tiny yellow fish in Finding Nemo that got brought to the shark party. Um, for those of you who know that movie, you'll, you'll relate immediately to who that was. He was a little bitty boy, he was about maybe two years old, and he was clinging to his mom's leg and looking around as he came back into the shop. And I said, well, did you have fun out there? And he nodded his head and I said, what did you see? He took a breath and he said, big hands. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do well, have big hands. The story behind that story is we're standing in the in the cook shack, and there are some uh, local artists came many years ago. I have no idea who it was, but it was done locally. She she put together paper mache heads and mannequin style bodies with these big rubber hands. I have no idea where she found them, but they're big, gnarly, double sized human hands, and apparently had a profound, <laughs> profound impact on this little boy. I hope he's gotten over it. It's, he's probably about. <laughs> 30 now and he we may have seen him bringing his children here to share that joy with them who knows i have young people come up to me um, a little taller than i am and they'll say you know me <laughs> and i'll have to fish back through long memory and and try to remember what they looked like when they were five <laughs> <laughs>
and uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But they always they always let me off the hook and tell me whose family they're with, and and we talk reminisce a little bit about that. But, uh, this is kind of a miscellaneous building. It has a couple of things. One of them related to logging. Two of them related to logging, actually. And another one that just happens to be here because we were able to get a hold of it. There is a horse-drawn school bus. It's just a wagon with a lath cover over it and uh, unpained windows. It's, it's open with bench seats down the inside on both sides and a, a door at each end. And it was drawn by a couple of horses and it was the school bus during the great logging era. There were no snow plows and road maintenance of any kind. This sled was used to transport children to school after heavy snow made the roads impassable. Canvas was used to cover the top, used last in 1917 in the Central School District, which was later consolidated into the Barnum, Minnesota system. Well, this is the second building that was built on this site to go with the family cabin. About 50 feet away, they built a really comprehensive Wow. Uh, it's a sauna. It's got a fairly large ante room, dressing room, and uh, it's a poured cement floor on pilings. It's on up on on posts. So it was pretty pretty advanced for its day. It was made sometime back in the 40s or 50s. There's the oh yeah the explanations in this particular building. We just took the opportunity to talk about the, the sauna, and uh, I'll let one of you read read that aloud. So it's talking about who was actually in these logging camps in, in Minnesota and was French Canadians and people from Scotland and Ireland and mixed nationalities. Uh, they moved, started in Maine and, and moved their way west, ended up in Minnesota and uh, Swedish and Norwegian immigrants and were the majority. And this is around 1890 and the Finnish came along after the 1900s and started from that time made up the large part of the workforce and here's what people got paid uh, from 1910 to 1915 uh, a four horse teamster evidently was the uh, hot dog around camp and they got about $35 per month and then somebody like the Sawyer $26 a month Swamper 22 the cook well the cook Whoa. $60 a month What's the deal with that? that? The cooks, the and I was puzzled by that too. I thought, boy, that and that's that's what you would consider a low load job. I mean, you're not out in you're not out in it, and, you know, pulling your back. The reason for that is a good cook generally was attached unofficially, but it worked that way to a good team of of workers. If you had a lousy cook you had basically lousy workers that were problems and you were replacing them and, and firing them and hiring new and firing and hiring new. So these cooks could pretty much call their own tune. At least, at least that's the explanation I got was if you wanted good help, you got a good cook and you had to pay for it. Wow, you really did pay for a good cook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so some other people like the blacksmith, $40 a month. Uh, the top loader, $40 a month. And the barn boss, $35 a month. So all kinds of jobs that were involved in a typical camp. And uh, yeah, just quite a lifestyle that was happening up here. And you have a llama. Yes. We'll typically uh, have her follow me around in there. And, and if she sees me carrying feed to the chicken coop, she'll park herself in my way sideways. 
And I have to keep explaining to her, isn't it weird how you talk to your pets? So I'm having <laughs> a running conversation with this llama who never says anything back. But What's her name? Her name is Lily. Aww. And she was born here. The, uh, the gift shop, of course, is, is free of charge. It's a gift shop. But the tour is $5 for adults, uh, $4 for children 6 through 15, and 5 and under are free at this point. And that's kind of how we've done this all these years. Shows a good day. All right, well, I think we're good. Cool. Thanks for the tour, Bill. You're welcome. So we have left Tom's logging camp and... How great was that? That was awesome. I'm so... I'm never going to look at that sign on 61 the same again. It's You're going to see it and you're be like, that place is awesome, yeah. as opposed to where you kind of see it and you... Half the time, I think, oh, what is that place? I should go there someday. And the other half, I just don't even notice it's there. Mm -hmm. Whole new appreciation. Yes. I know what occurs there. So good job, Tom's Logging Camp. Keep it up. Awesome place. And now we are coming into the community of Knife River. And this is basically the second community on the Scenic Drive. You have French River and now Knife River. And we've crossed county lines. Yes, that just happened. Good catch. So we went from St. Louis County and we are now in Lake County, home of... Pierre the Pantsless Voyager, <laughs> amongst other things. He we'll is, get to that. He in is short the period. highlight. It's just the first thing that comes to mind. That yeah, I think when I think of two harbors in Lake County, I think of Pierre. Knife River is another unincorporated community, but this one, as we just said, is part of two harbors and is in Lake County. Population double and a half mm. French River. We're looking at about 250. Okay. It was originally called Buchanan, which was formed on the west side of the river, and then also the town of Melly, which was formed on the east side of the river. Both of these in the like 1800s, and it was primarily because of the logging companies, and there is a railroad here. Bill at Tom's Logging Camp. Great guy, been hanging out with him all day, yep. all morning here. He, he mentioned the railroad, mm -hmm. and that is why this community exists. They, those two communities of Melly and Buchanan merged together and they became the community or the town of Knife River. At one point it was actually an incorporated full-on town, but then it, it did eventually unincorporate um, and become part of two harbors. But yeah, it's 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 mostly families, retirees, people who like the two harbors area but kind of want to be a little bit outside of it. Same vibe as as French River, kind of mm -hmm. those the people who really want that small, small community feel. I think we can appreciate that being from Grand Marais. Mm -hmm. uh, it's home to several businesses, including their passing on right here. That's the Russ Kendall Smokehouse. And then there's a marina, a campground, a post office, and our next stop, which is the Great Lakes Candy Kitchen. Okay, I am, uh, I'm, if I jump out of the vehicle suddenly, just, I apologize. Jay. Joe, if there's one thing I know about you, you like candy. Yes. <laughs> And candy and swings. Candy and swings. So we're still on the hunt for the swings, but I can at least deliver you some candy in about 30 seconds because I see the little white and red building of the Great Lakes Candy Kitchen right there. So let's pull in. Okay, and it, it looks fairly busy. Um, I've noticed too in other times I've driven past that this place gets busy, but in a, in a good way. I'm sure one that they appreciate. Yeah, know? it's a hustle bustle. You know, yeah. they're, they especially they're seasonal, so just like everything else once mm -hmm. the season starts they pick up but they do know we're coming so hopefully they have a few moments to talk to us cool 
Pamela Cane Lake Manson. We're at Great Lakes Candy Kitchen in Knife River, and I'm one of the owners of the candy store. And we started this store in 2007. We're in our 13th year. Wow. So um, we're here in the kitchen right now, and we're doing candy, making candy the traditional way, old-fashioned. We have the copper kettles, wooden paddles, a marble table. Right now we're making hot air, which is a famous candy. We've learned all our recipes from my dad and my uncle, who owned the store uh, after the war. And their dad, which would be my grandfather, started the Cane Lakes Candy in Virginia, Minnesota in 1905. So we, we have a long history of uh, candy making in our family. What's hot air? Hot air is a candy that's hard to describe. <laughs> it's, uh, it's sometimes called air crunch, crunchy in Canada. It's like a big mound. It comes out like a big fluffy mound because it does have some baking soda in it. So I kind of almost compare it to, to a malted milk ball in texture, but starting out like a peanut brittle, but bigger and softer and kind of melts in your mouth. It's kind of tricky to make. So I'm teaching our new candy maker, Jody, how to make the hot air. And right now we're rising it in the copper kettle. So if I take off this cover, um, you'll see that it's kind of there. It's about halfway. It's got to be risen about three times or more. And then we'll dump it on the marble table. And the hope is to get it to look like a giant uh, mushroom. And if it's flat, it's a failure. That's all. It's a little tricky. Oh, is it still can the staff or you can eat it then or is it just got to be put away if it doesn't uh, we, do? If it's a failure, we throw it on the garbage. It's a sticky yeah. thing yeah, that we don't want. Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay. No, sorry. Um, no, no, no uh, flop. I thought there was like a side scrap 50% off <laughs> yeah. pile or something. If it was better, I would do it, but I, yeah. I don't want to give anyone our, our bad candy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, and what's your percentage of success to failure with the air candy? Um, I'd say it's 90%. Lately, yeah. yeah We've good. got it pretty well mastered. But like I said, we're um, it's a start. Since we're off in the winter, we all have to kind of refresh our skills. And then um, Jody is our new candy maker, and she's very, very good. But I'm just teaching her. Um, we often teach for several different people, especially on the hot air, because there's different little techniques and tricks to it. And do you know how much longer it's going to be before you dump it? Well, we're going to take a look at it now. Jody, you want to come yep. over here and we'll, we'll get her in the act here. Um, so we're going to take a peek. We've got it uh, with the cover on. Okay. It's about halfway risen up the kettle. Mm -hmm. And it's, I call it jiggly, to give it the jiggle test. It's a little bit wobbly, but um, we'll wait a little bit and then we'll add some, we'll, we'll, re we'll put the heat underneath it a little bit and get it to rise a little bit more. Should I spray do. the sides now? Uh, let's wait. Okay. Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. She's going to spray the side so it climbs a little easier. And um, that's what she's doing now. And, and again, we're here in the kitchen. We uh, tried, we're using the same uh, techniques that my dad and recipes that my dad and my grandfather and my uncle had. So we have all the recipes and we follow them to a letter. We do certain little twists on something that they didn't have, say the salty caramels. They never did that or the truffles. But basically it's all the recipes and um, we look at their pictures on the wall we have a lot of history here of the family and then i also can look out the window and see the lake superior so oh, yeah. that's a great job yeah. i also like to collect old antique candy machines it started out with my dad had the ribbon candy maker and so i bought a similar one on ebay they're from the 1890s also and then i have little shelves on this side of the store if people want to come in and look at the antique candy machines they're really fun to look at they're really well made out of cast iron and brass and 
interchangeable rollers when we cart candy on them. Oh, nice. Yeah. This is Andrea. She's our candy dipper. <laughs> you can see that um, we have these candy dipping machines oh. and they turn and they, they temper the chocolate. So, uh, Andrea, you want to explain how you're dipping anything or some well, salt? Taking salted caramels, and so the chocolate has to be the right temperature, but really it's all about timing to get the salt on. Mm -hmm. So we've got several uh, dipping people. My sister's an owner too. She dips at night. She lives next door, so it's very handy for her. And she'll come in the morning and help set up the store. We've got white chocolate, milk chocolate, and dark. And behind you is the trays of caramel. Our caramel, we're pretty famous for our caramel recipe. We call it, my dad called it sweet cream caramel. It was because in the old days, sometimes they would use sour cream, cream that went bad, or I don't know on purpose why they used it, but sweet cream, of course, is the better quality cream. <laughs> so we put that in all our caramels, lots of cream and butter. And then this is it plain. Our caramel goes a long way. We use it for turtles. We use it for caramels. We use it wrapped plain. Um, so for caramel apples, and so it's we go we make caramel every day. I'd say wow. sometimes twice a day. <laughs> we make a lot of barks. There's a chocolate almond bark. There's a white bark with almonds, and then we have a pistachio bark that's very good. It's bright green in color. <laughs> People really go for it. They like the green peanut butter cups. Blueberry bark is good, and we have a lemon bark, which Wait, I don't you, see. Did you say blueberry bark? Yes, they're made from dried blueberries. My husband tells people we just pick the blueberries. It's not true, but <laughs> they are dried, but once you put them in the chocolate, they kind of plump up, and they're very good, very tasty. Out here, we like to mound. My sister calls it mounding in the case. She likes to stack everything real high, and um, one of our other best sellers said, we've all been pretty creative here. We've got a candy bar called Ship's Rope, and it's... Um, pieces of toffee with chocolate in kind of a, a twisted bar and the chocolate fish of course being on the shore is a really good a really good uh, seller too and we call them Mel's fish because this store used to be a fish shop oh by the way these are the pickle mix it's our uh, wintergreen clove and spearmint hard candy right. this is made on the 1890s candy machine antique machine so there's the different rollers here's one that makes fish you can see the fish here. Oops, dropped. I didn't drop it. Um, <laughs> this one's called the kiss knocker. It kind of knocks them out with the swivel <laughs> mechanism as it goes through. It kind of cuts them, and when you turn the handle, it just, it just, candy's going everywhere. It's really a fun one. And this one's called the humbug. This is a really rare one. But in with this whole mix is other machines, and then we've got old pictures of the original Cane Lakes candy. And you but still use these? We. We don't use them all, but we mostly use a strop candy roller. And there's a display with, like I said, we can make many different varieties, but we have our favorites. Pickles, fish, and the circles are pretty nice too. This one we use for sure. This is the one I was talking about. It's a replica. I usually put this little piece of paper in here to show how it works, but um, there's kind of like loopy brass pieces that, that kind of melt together as you're feeding the candy and it makes a ribbon shape. So for those of people that remember the old-fashioned ribbon candy, that's that's how they did it in the old days. And we do it here, right on the marble table, but not all year round. And and we make, it's thought of as Christmas candy, but we make it in summery flavors too. 
So um, one thing that I noticed is that there appears to be all ages of people out there, and everybody appears to be equally having as much fun, a kid and, like, a grandpa or just right. a parent or someone. Uh, does that mean anything to you as the owner, that everybody can come in here and have fun and enjoy the experience? It's really what we're striving for, and we're really happy that people come in here and, and can all, all ages can have a good time. It, it really is great. We... We, we hear the term, I'm a kid in the candy store, but they can be any age, and they, they like the store. So we do try to have something for everyone, and I think we've done it. And uh, I just can't believe how much people like candy, and especially good candy. We've and do, do you have people that buy some candy, and then they get home to Iowa or Missouri or wherever they're from, and they say, i got to get more of that, and they call you up and say, can you ship me a box of those caramels that we had? They do. Unfortunately, we only ship in November and December, so mm -hmm. sometimes we have the sad job of telling them they have to wait or get someone local to mail for them. But we just don't mail in the summer months. Mm -hmm. We're really busy, and um, mm -hmm. it takes a lot more to ship during the heat. You have yep. to get cold pit. Yep. So, yeah. And what's the best seller here? We have several best sellers. Um, my sister calls them the big top five or the big five, and I think it's caramel, toffee, Swiss mints, turtles. Okay, I'm up to four. <laughs> hot air. Hot air. There you go. There you go. Big five. Yeah, cool. So that's Great. it. I think we have three candy makers. Four. Andy is the partner with me. He's my son. I make candy on the kettle. Jody makes candy on the kettle. Lynn makes candy on the kettle. That's it, I think. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it's a full-time job. Lori <laughs> <laughs> has been here for the full 13 years. Go ahead, Lori. I came with the building. Oh! Yeah, oh. yeah she kind of did. So you worked when it was a fish house. I did. Oh. <laughs> I did, I did, I did. So you grew up here. I did. Are you an, are you Dyke River local, or? Yep. Parents, grandparents, married a man from here. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna die here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just not in the building. Yeah. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> Stay home and it's not good. Stay home. You're going to have that day off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, they're checking out the hot air. They're, they're feeling it and analyzing it because it's got to be perfect. Yeah. It has to be perfect. It's, uh, yeah, it's very technical. <laughs> this is a big moment. This, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. All right, I feel like this is the moment we've been waiting for. So I think we can narrate this a little bit. So it yeah. went from kind of a gelatin-like substance to almost a solid, but like still... Like a pudding, almost, or a yeah. th uh, thicker... It's hard, right? It's not really... It's pretty soft. Oh, okay. It's soft. It's, the texture inside is sort of like a malted milk ball, okay. but yet it, because it's not hard yet, it's... It's still soft, and when it hardens up, it's more crispy. Okay. Melts in your mouth, uh, very sweet, but light. It, you just crunch on it, and it just—it's really fun to eat. We're gonna just gently flip oh. it. Oh, oh, wow. It's pretty good. It's like a giant marshmallow. It's, yeah, we call it the mushroom or the marshmallow. And it's growing. Mm -hmm. It's growing. Mm -hmm. It might have dumped it a little bit too soon, but. Um, we could wait too much yeah. longer for this demo, and I, it's going to be good. It's going to be very good. So that's it. Sometimes I just um, you can see by this little piece how spongy it still is. It looks like now a huge pancake that has uh, 
a malted milk ball interior. Yep, that's what people call a pancake, a giant cookie, a loaf of bread. It's really, it is pretty hot, still just bubble. It's spectacular and it's, mm -hmm. it's got just all kinds of character about it. Like you can just stare at it and it's fascinating. It's, it's pretty good, yeah. And like I said, it's, it's, um, it's a fun one. And this is what sugar and flour and water. No flour, um, oh. sugar, corn syrup, um, some baking soda, and yeah. a couple other little secret things. Secret ingredients. Are you maintaining it? Well, you can put bars against the edge if you don't want it to spread too much. But I think it's done spreading. Seems um, like it. Yeah, it's good. Wow, and it's the size of a large wheel, like maybe a semi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird. We like to when it's, and then when it's cool, we take, um, like we've got different choppers and we just chop it apart and do it. Oh, now you have a big sword yeah. that's going to yes. chop this. <laughs> is this also very therapeutic? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that chopping action. Is that what you say? Yeah. And it smells like maybe making a roasting marshmallows around the campfire. Yeah. yeah. A little bit so we're outside the shop and there's, yeah, there's a whole world happening out here too. <laughs> I like that. It looks like a, they've converted an old washing machine to some sort of like pinwheel wonderland back there. <laughs> <laughs> this is like truly Wonka style. Oh my gosh. It's so really Wonka. This is like a candy shop, yes. theme park, amusement, fun, total Wonka. There are um, hammocks around. So if you eat too much candy and you go into a sugar coma, <laughs> You can just sit back. <laughs> Joe's about to try his sample of hot air. This is the hot air. This is what we saw being made. So now I'm going to see what this texture is like. That's what, I don't know what I'm biting into. I know. I, it, like, is this going to be hard? Do I need to prepare my teeth and mind for this? Or is it going to be like a marshmallow? Okay, here we it's go. It's so hard to tell because it looked, looked gooey yeah. on the counter. Okay. Whoa. Oh, it's a crunch. Oh. Total crunch. It's, it, it almost looked like, um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of Butterfinger a little bit. I'm gonna try a little kind of, bit. Yeah, like, I kind of bit in a little spot. Yeah. Yeah. Mmm, it's almost peanut buttery. It's stuck in my teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was not mentally mm. prepared for that. No. But now that I'm enjoying it. Mmm. I can't, this is indescribable. It's you just have to come and try totally it. It's totally indescribable. We're leaving the Great Lakes Candy Kitchen and we are now driving I towards- I can't believe you're making me leave here. <laughs> first of all, just to get that out there. You so can't live in the so air So our vents, listeners Joe. know how I'm feeling about this. Yeah. But yes, the show, the. The tour must go on. We can't spend all day there because we're only about four, like not even 30 miles into our <laughs> day long road trip here and it's already noon. So okay. we got to get moving. The scenic drive, we still have a little tiny bit left. There's not a whole lot here, but you know, worth mentioning is the Mocha Moose coffee shop. There's a Scandinavian gift shop, the Earthwood Inn restaurant bar, and that is home of the I think we mentioned him earlier. Pierre? Pierre, the, the pantsless, pantsless voyager. voyager to Harbors. Oh gosh, um, can't wait to see him. He is a staple. We actually won't, now we will see him a little bit from, yeah. from this angle, but you mm -hmm. see him more from Highway 61. But And how's he doing these days? I mean, he's had some rough experiences. Oh man, I hear he lost an arm, yeah. but I believe it's back. 
Mm-hmm. Where, where do you buy an arm for a giant pantsless Voyager? Um, <laughs> that was a the Ukraine. A rhetorical question. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was <laughs> really thinking hard on that. Uh, so Pierre is basically your gateway to Two Harbors. Hmm. He is your, your your symbol that you have arrived yeah. in the community of Two Harbors. And this is actually where we're going to end episode one. There, there, like I said, there's a little bit more here, but we're going to end it now because we're going to come back in a few weeks or maybe even uh, in the fall. And we're going to cool. do a day in Two Harbors. That sounds like fun. Yeah. All but I figured we do. can't do a day in Two Harbors now because we're trying to drive all the way to Grand Marais. So we're on a mission. Today. We're on a mission. What do you think, Joe? Sound like a good place to end episode one? I've been having a blast so far and we're just getting started. Yes. So thank you for listening, and we will be back next week with episode two, uh, which is actually just happening the same day, but you'll hear it a week later. Yeah. And that is where we will go from outside of Two Harbors. We'll skip through Two Harbors. We'll start in the outside of Two Harbors, and we will go all the way to the town of Beaver Bay. Sweet. I'm having fun, Jay. All right, Joe. See you on the other side. North Shore Explorers. Exploring the North Shore. Exploring the North Shore. Jay, this is awesome. All right, we'll see you next week.